Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, good morning, guys. Good to see you. If you would, please open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 2 this morning, as we continue our verse-by-verse study in the Gospel of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible, we got Bibles in the back there for you by the AV booth. We want to make sure you have God's Word in your hands. And as you turn there, let me review from the last, really the last couple months, we have been studying the life of Jesus through the Gospel of Matthew. Have you guys noticed how different Matthew's gospel is from Mark's? Already, there's a big difference here. You know, we we looked at the the genealogy of Jesus. We looked at the virginal conception of Jesus. Uh, Matthew taught us about the Magi and that famous star. And last Sunday, the Holy Spirit taught us about the flight into Egypt with Jesus, Mary, and Joseph couple key points from last week. We talked about how there is no doubt that Joseph himself was filled with doubt. Those dreams, all that traveling, he was filled with doubt, but he persevered through that fear and through that doubt, and he did as the Lord directed. We discussed how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. We talked about uh, how Jesus is a do-over, right? He's a do-over of the Old Testament. Jesus is the new Moses leading a new exodus. We talked about the sovereignty of God and how God is in control regardless of what we believe or how we feel at that moment. God is in complete control. We discussed what separates a disciple from a Christian. It's all the choices that we make, and and specifically choosing not only to love God's promises, but also to love His commands. And then lastly, we learned how it's in our own trials, in our burdens, and and in our sufferings, uh, to where we cannot fake obedience. Most of these lessons came from Joseph's obedience from last week. We talked about how Joe is not a super saint, There there is nothing special about Joseph. He is a sinner who needs God's salvific grace, just like me and you. Joe's not perfect, but the thing about Joe is that he's imperfectly obedient. And, And man, I pray that's encouraging to you this morning, especially for those of you who call yourselves perfectionists, you dreaded perfectionists. Well, today we're going to get to the other side of the story from last week. As Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, they were traveling to Egypt, something appalling happened in the land of Israel. King Herod learns that the Magi skipped town without telling him where the Messiah was born. Is that going to be an issue? Yeah, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word. 
Now today we're going to look at verses 16, 17, and 18, but I I do want to back up and and start reading at verse 1 just to give us the full context of what's going on in this narrative. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, Because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And then Herod secretly summoned the wise men, and he asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, You guys go and you search carefully for the child, and when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. And after hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was the star that they had seen at its rising. And it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. And after they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and they escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. And then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, he flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time that he had learned from the wise men. And then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping. A great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. Father in heaven, the psalmist writes, Sing to the Lord, you his faithful ones, and praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. Amen and amen. Have a seat, guys. Thank you. Let's take a deeper look here at verse 16. Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, he flew into a rage And he gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under in keeping with the time that he had learned from the wise men. So several weeks ago, we learned that Herod 
wanted the Magi to report back to him regarding the location of the Messiah. Not to worship him, but to murder him. Now, Herod may have waited a day, maybe two days, but probably much, not much longer than that before he gave this order. Bethlehem, it's only five miles away from Jerusalem. So it's only to walk that is only uh, maybe a two-hour journey. So we've got a couple days that have now passed, and Herod realizes the Magi, they're not coming back. So verse 16, then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, he flew into a rage. Herod the Great was tricked. He was deceived. See, in Herod's mind, the Magi, they are mocking him. And how dare they mock King Herod the Great. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it really the Magi who tricked Herod? Let let me point you back to verse 12 from last week. Being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, the Magi, they returned to their own country by another route. So according to verse 12, who warned the Magi? God did. So who tricked Herod? Aha. See, the Magi, they are simply being obedient to the leading of God. The Magi, they have another divine disruption to their lives here. They were planning on going back the same way that they came. They were going to stop by Jerusalem. They were going to see Herod. They were going to do exactly as Herod asked, but they too, like Joseph, they had a dream from God, and God provided a divine intervention. Now, as many of you guys guys know, when you have a divine intervention, that's going to change the course of your life forever. And I wonder how many times we get mad at other people or a situation in our lives, and we too get mad at the wrong person when it's God redirecting our lives. Verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, he flew into a rage. So the scene here is that Herod completely loses control of his emotions. Have you heard the phrase that he sees red? You've heard that? So Herod is like a bull where the matador mocks him with that red flag. Herod allows his passions to overrule his judgment. Herod's anger doesn't, or Herod doesn't control his anger. His anger is now in control of him. His arrogance and his pride now blind all common sense. So in his sick and his twisted and his rage-filled mind, if Herod can't kill the one born king of the Jews, then he's going to seek revenge on the very town that bore him. Obviously, it's never a good idea to make decisions when you're filled with rage. Brings us to key point number one. Anger is evidence of our pride. Anger is evidence of our pride. So let's learn some life-saving lessons from Herod today. Proverbs 14, 16. A wise person is cautious and turns from evil, but a fool is easily angered and careless. Proverbs 29, 11. A fool gives full vent to his anger. Ah, but a wise person 
holds all that in check. So we're going to be talking about anger a lot today. So let's, let me define that for you so we can all get on the same page. Anger, it's a strong emotion of irritation or agitation that occurs when a personal need or expectation is not met. It's a strong emotion of irritation. We're irritated. We're angry. We're, we're agitated. Something's not right. I'm not getting my way because a personal need that I have or an expectation that I have, it's not being met. Angry people in scripture are described as two things generally, hot-tempered or quick-tempered. We see this in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 29, 22. An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered one increases rebellion. Proverbs 14, 29, a patient person shows great understanding, but a quick person or a quick-tempered one promotes foolishness. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament that is most used when it comes to anger is af, A-P-H, af. And it gives the picture of someone's nostrils flaring. Your nose is flaring with anger. It reminds me of the matador and the bull. Now, isn't that interesting? That the word of God would use that word to describe what happens to a person's emotions when they get angry. Scripture specifically provides a physiological, a visceral response to our anger. So, you know, like many other emotions that we have, anger really has an impact on our bodies. So let's read this text again, and let's get the full picture of what's happening to Herod here. Verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, he flew into a rage. Herod's blood vessels become highly excitable. His pulse becomes strong and hard. His face becomes red and swollen. His eyebrows frown and his eyes swell. All before he says one word. So Herod's whole body here is thrown in turmoil. And now, because he's in a rage, he's about to do something really, really stupid. Proverbs 14, 17 says this, Short-tempered people do foolish things. So controlling and subduing our anger, guys, that's a form of self-control. That's self-discipline. And this kind of self-control, it can be learned. Everybody deals with the sin of anger at varying levels, uh, but nobody is exempt. I was at a men's conference many years ago. There were about 300 men in the room. And the pastor who was teaching at the time, he asked the men to close their eyes and raise their hands when he mentioned a specific uh, subject matter or a sin that they were struggling with. And when he got to the subject of anger, man, I am not kidding, nearly every hand was raised in that room. So dear friends, anger is not a sin that we have to continue dealing with. It can be controlled, but it can, it can only be controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit living within you. And as we all know, giving full vent to our anger is incredibly embarrassing and shameful. Most people regret what they say or what they do. We see the instant consequences here when it comes to Herod's rage. 
Verse 16, he gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. So Herod's fury is so fierce that it destroys all common sense. In Herod's rage, he chooses to execute children willfully. He murders babies in cold blood. He's got zero compassion. Now, does that sound like a decision that a good, sane, moral, responsible person would make? Of course not. And that's why Scripture says in Proverbs 27, 4, that anger is cruel and fury is overwhelming. And because God says that fury is overwhelming, it's no wonder. It's just no wonder that Herod loses self-control here. You know, when people go into a rage like this, many times they move into a state of temporary insanity. But that is not an excuse to justify your sin. So let me ask you another question. If it's God who warned the Magi, and it's God who tricked Herod, then who is Herod really angry with? It's God. But is God concerned about Herod's anger? Psalm 2 is the coronation psalm, the crowning psalm when the Father crowns Jesus. Listen to this. Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they take their stand, and the rulers, they conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. That's Jesus. That's exactly what Herod's doing. Verse 3, they say, well, let's tear off their chains and their ropes off of us. And the one enthroned in heaven, he laughs. The Lord ridicules these kings. And then he speaks to them in his anger and he terrifies them in his wrath. He says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. So please don't confuse God's anger there, for example, with Herod's anger or even your anger. God's anger is a righteous and holy anger. So in other words, God's wrath is based in love towards sin. We get angry because we don't get our way. Our anger is based on our selfishness. It's not based on love for others. When we get angry, are we loving that person the way that we love ourselves? Don't kid yourself, guys. There is very little righteous anger in our lives. We get angry because that person is in the way of us trying to accomplish something we want to accomplish. So God's anger does not compare to ours. Verse 16, he gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Now, it probably doesn't take long for the Romans to execute these children. It probably happened the same day that Herod gave the order. How many children were murdered that day? Well, Bethlehem is a small village, probably between three to 500 people at that time. So there could have been several dozen children murdered that day. Uh, we don't know for sure, though. As scripture doesn't say. Now, there are no historical secular historical records of this event either. And because of that, some people say that this story is made up because no one else records it. 
So how do we, as disciples of Jesus, how do we respond to that allegation? Well, if Matthew made this story up, which is in Scripture, that would make God a liar. And if God's a liar, then we all have an eternal problem on our hands, which means that we can't trust God. But Scripture says that God doesn't lie in Titus chapter 1, verse 2. So the story is true. Now, secondly, Bethlehem is a small village. It's out in the middle of nowhere. The world doesn't care about Bethlehem. So in other words, Herod executing children out in the middle of nowhere, it's not front page news for the Jerusalem Times. It's just, that's why no one else records it. Verse 17, then... What was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. Notice here that Matthew is not interested in Herod's temper tantrum. He's not interested in that at all. What Matthew is interested in is how Herod's rage fulfills Old Testament scripture. Look at this. Verse 18. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children. And she refused to be consoled because they are no more. So Matthew quotes Jeremiah 31.15 here. Key point number two, notice how one man's rage is tied to another woman's weeping. Notice how one man's rage is tied to another woman's weeping. So why is it that Matthew is quoting Jeremiah. Well, let's break it down here. The first part of verse 18, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. So there are four places known as Ramah in the Old Testament. And this prophecy, it happened at Ramah in Benjamin, which is near Jerusalem. This particular village is where Nebuchadnezzar gathered the Jewish people before bringing them back to Babylon as slaves. So the Jews going into Babylonian captivity here, that's why there is weeping and great mourning in the first part of this verse. Now the second part, Rachel is now weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they are no more. Rachel is Jacob's, or was Jacob's wife. Jacob is one of the forefathers of the faith. So we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the the, the first part of verse 18 here, Israel is weeping, and now it's a person weeping. Why is that? Well, Rachel's, she's long dead. I mean, she's not in Bethlehem when this massacre uh, happens. So what's going on? Well, Rachel is what's called a biblical type. Now, this is super fun for those of you who have never heard of the typology uh, typology is really a fun study. Let me, let me give you a definition here. It's a biblical interpretation where a person, place, or thing in the Old Testament points to another person, place, or thing found in the New Testament. So let me give you an example. So the Passover lamb in the Old Testament, that is a type that points to Jesus as the lamb of God in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. The rock from which Israel drank in the Old Testament, it prefigures Christ himself as the rock and the living water in the new. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. Remember when Jesus said to Nicodemus, 
He said, Nick, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. John 3, 14. So those are examples of typology. So, so back to our text now here with that context, Rachel, Rachel is weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. They're dead. So Rachel is a type, an Old Testament type, that represents all the mothers of Bethlehem who are weeping because their children have been murdered by Herod. Now look, guys, I know this is a pretty heavy text today. I get that. We do have a lot to learn from it, though. Um, and I, I want to focus on, on anger as we close. I, I got to tell you, I learned a lot about anger from my own dad. He taught me things not to do. As a little boy, I remember him taking my brother and I through the car wash. And uh, dad at that time, he, he drove one of those black Pontiac Trans Ams with the T-tops on it, you know, just like the Smokey and the Bandit. Y'all with me? You guys have never seen Smokey and the Bandit. Man, I'll never forget that car. I would sit in the passenger seat. My brother, who's three years younger than me, he would sit on the armrest as dad drove. There weren't any seat laws back then. Needless to say, my dad didn't really have a concern about safety. I mean, besides, what could possibly go wrong? So we go through the car wash, but instead of drying the car, you know, with a towel, like a, a normal person would do, my dad decided he would drive really, really fast to air dry it. I, I looked over, and dad's going 100 miles an hour, through the suburban streets of Fort Wayne, Indiana. I'm guessing the speed limit's about 40, maybe 50. So we passed several cars, boom, 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 like at mock speed. Traffic's coming up. There's a red light. Dad finally has to slow down. And as, as the cars get ready to catch up with us, one particular car passed us and gave us a certain hand gesture. <laughs> As a little boy, I've never seen this hand gesture. My dad did not like the hand gesture. He didn't say anything to my brother and I, but what he did is he switched lanes. And when he switched lanes, he pulled up right behind the car and he tapped the bumper with his front bumper. And before I know it, he punches the gas. And before anything happens, his back tires are screeching. It is so loud. The whole intersection fills up with this gray smoke. And I'll never forget this. The woman in the, in the uh, passenger seat, she turns around and she's just terrified. Well, dad pushes them out into oncoming traffic. So he lets off his, his brake, punches the gas and goes through. Like I said, I learned a lot of things, not what to do from my dad. I've got more stories, by the way, but you'll have to come to the foundations class to hear them. Is anger a sin? Ooh, we got mixed emotions on that. Psalm 4.4, don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. 
You don't have to give in to your anger and make it a sin like Herod or like my dad. It is a choice to be angry. And for many of us, irritation and anger, they are the, def- the, the default mode in how we deal with our problems. Have you ever wondered why you get angry? Because it's not the person, the place, or the thing. Those things are just surface-level issues. The reason we get angry is because we still have a fractured relationship with Jesus Christ. At some level, it's still fractured. See, King Herod, he didn't have a relationship with God, he sinned. My dad thought he had a relationship with God, and he sinned. And the reason that we get angry is because of the remaining sin in our own lives. Now, our, our sin of anger, it, it manifests itself out in many different ways. Let me give you three sources of anger. Three sources of anger. There are more, but I'm not going to go all Dr. Phil on you here, all right? I, uh, you know, I, and I usually don't give this much application in my messages, but I, I really feel like some biblical counseling with anger is, is good for us today. Number one. We get angry because our heart is wounded. We get angry because our heart is wounded. If you want a story on that, Genesis 37, 3 and 4. See, God has designed all of us to have a need for unconditional love. And when we are rejected or we experience some kind of emotional pain, we get angry. Why do we do that? We do it to protect ourselves. We, we don't want to be hurt again. So we push people away, we keep them away. It's easier to live life this way, keeping people away from me, and then letting people in so they can continue to hurt me. You've heard that expression, hurt people, hurt other people? There's a lot of truth to that. But guys, we're all broken. We don't have to stay this way. Number two, we get angry because of fear and worry. We get angry because of fear and worry. A great story on that, 1 Samuel 18, verses 8 through 12. See, God created us for security. We all have a need for security. And any sudden change in our circumstances, what it does is it causes us to fear. We lose the illusion of control that we think we have over our life, and that causes us to worry. And that worry reveals a brokenness in our lives. At some level, we don't trust God. And a lack of trust, that's another reason that we get angry. Number three, we get angry because of frustration. We get angry because of frustration. Genesis 4, verses 3 through 8. You see Cain and Abel, the the story there, his frustration You know, everybody has a God-given need for significance. And a lot of our frustration is tied to our performance. And when our performance doesn't meet our expectations, then our significance is threatened, which causes us to get angry. Frustration over unmet expectations is a major source of anger. For the past two years, this is very, very apparent. Frustration over my unmet expectations of you causes me to get angry. 
So how do we overcome these sources of anger? Psalm 38, 18. So I confess my iniquity. I'm anxious because of my sin. So for us to be at peace with God, for us to be at peace with others, Scripture tells us to confess our sins. So how do you do this practically? Well, number one, we have to confess, not just saying we're sorry. Sorry! That's what we do, isn't it? Sorry! Not going to do that again. And 12 minutes later, I just did it again. That's not what God's talking about here. We have to confess anger, not as a mistake, but as sin. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, that God is faithful. He is righteous to forgive us of our sins and, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Many of you know my story. I was an addict for 20 years of my life. And I would, I would at some level, confess my sins to God over that 20-year time frame. Sorry, God, not going to do that again. Sorry, God, and do it again and again and again. And then when I became a Christian and I started hanging around with godly men, they showed me this verse, James 5.16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. And I said, well, wait a second. You want me to confess my sin to another guy, eyeball to eyeball? Yeah, I'm, I'm not a real big fan of that, I don't think. I don't want to tell someone else what I've been doing. And the amazing thing about this verse is that it changed my life. This verse allowed me to move to, from a Christian to a disciple because I had to be accountable to somebody. See, 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sins to God. That's the vertical. God forgives us every single time. But James 5, 16, that's the horizontal. You put these two together, we have the cross, right? Why would I want to confess my sins to one another? Because the verse says, and pray for one another. Well, this man can pray for me. Well, wait a second, God, I've been praying for 20 years and nothing's ever changed. Why is this going to change? Keep reading the verse. So that you may be healed. Wow. There is a spiritual transaction that takes place when you get real with another brother or sister in Christ. That's, my, that's how you confess your sins. Number two, ask God to reveal the source of your anger. The source, why? What's the root cause of your anger? Why, when you get home, do you feel like kicking your wife's cat? For no reason. I actually thought I'd get a little bit of a laugh out of that, but trying to lighten the mood. Ask God to reveal the source of your anger. So, guys, this is a really good way when you tithe your time in the morning to pray about this. Ask the Lord. Meditate on the scriptures. Read the word of God by the spirit of God. He'll show you the source. And number three, talk to a trusted brother or sister about your anger. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. 
This idea that you can live the Christian life apart from the church and apart from discipleship, man, that comes from the pit of hell. And if you're doing life by yourself, we're certainly not fulfilling the Great Commission. I mean, there's a reason the worst punishment a, a prisoner can receive in prison is solitary confinement. There's a reason for that. And yet many Christians, what we do, we voluntarily choose to isolate ourselves. And really, there, there are few things more tragic than that, I think, than to place yourself voluntarily into solitary confinement. Not physically, but emotionally and spiritually. So if you want to talk to someone today, if you need prayer, the prayer room, through the foyer to the right. If you want to hang out a little bit, we've got fellowship uh, to the left here. Guys, we want to get to know you, and, and, and I pray that you would let us. Father in heaven, this is a, a weighty text today. And I would like to ask that you would forgive us for our sin of anger that you would forgive us for our, for our sin of fear and of worry and frustration and performance and, and trying to work somehow to make you smile when, when you've already smiled on Jesus, your son. And Jesus has given us your righteousness, your holiness, his goodness. Father, many of us are hurt and we don't know what to do. And we want to praise you now for the word of God um, meeting us where we are so that you can tell us the next steps. Father, we love you. I pray now that as we leave and as we fellowship that we share this message of hope of the cross. And not only that, Lord God, but yes, that you would address us if we are habitually sinning in our anger. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.